Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. Hey, that's my name. And our very first week in IndyCar listener Q&A show 2020. And what is this? This is actually something I should have posted about two weeks ago. I don't know. Uh, This was meant to follow Joseph Newgarden's guest week in IndyCar appearance. That went up, what, a day or two, a couple days before Christmas. And yeah, so there were all your questions that came with that show, too. And I was supposed to put that together. Well, I kind of did. And I had the second of two recent uh, little computer middle fingers thrown my way. And it died after I recorded an awful lot of that Q&A show. So... Knowing that you took the time to write, I want to take the time to get this darn thing done. And there's going to be another episode here following in a day or two at most, coming from the new, new episode with Colton Herta and the questions you have sent in there. So really, this is a little bit of housekeeping. We're dragging something that should have been done in 2019 forward a little bit into 2020. And, yeah, you send in some good questions. So I want to get to those and enjoy those fully. So you may know, you might have heard me mention it once or twice or post something on the good old tweeters or book faces or otherwise. I'm a really happy guy because Cooper Tires is back for a third season. And I just, yeah, it's everything that I've been hoping for with this little podcast. Why? Is this just a shameless plug? No, not at all. I don't even think they listen to the podcast, to be honest, but that's between us. Kidding aside, uh, this is just what I'd hope for, to build relationships with folks where we can do good things together, and that ends up being the sole focus of why we come together and do this podcast. So that's the basic tenet of what I try and do with you all with our multiple listener Q&A-based shows, both IndyCar and sports car, the live shows that we do, really, it's just trying to have a fun community of people who love open-wheel racing and sports cars. Those are the things that I love most. And we do a thing, and we get together on a weekly basis, and we talk about it, and you send in questions, and I try and answer them with uh, the least amount of stupidity possible. Stupidity. I can't even say the word stupidity correctly. This is so awesome. And if you're listening for the first time, this is how our listener Q&A IndyCar show goes. It is just, it's the hottest steaming pile of dog poo. I make no effort to polish this turd and just let it fly. So, again, this is the no vanity Almost no vanity podcast that I do. Whatever I say, right or wrong, misspell, misspeak, create words. If I say stupidity, hey, we're going with it. I'm not editing it out because it's just what it is, as Juan Montoya likes to say. And I enjoy that. I don't really have to put on my, my dress clothes for this episode, is the way I think of it each week. So, Uh, We just do our thing. We have our little community. You are that community. And I would say adding to that, Cooper Tires is back now for their third year. And the coolest part, the last two years, 
I have not had to open the dialogue. I have gotten an email from our friends at Cooper that has said, hey, uh, let's do it again. And we do it again. And that's perfect, right? Truly. It's perfect. Also need to say the same thing goes with the Justice Brothers, who are back for their second year. Their line of automotive chemicals and lubricants been a part of my life for decades. They're also on cars that race at the Indianapolis 500. Uh, Sage Caroms, Dryan Reinbold entry last year carried some sponsorship from the Justice Brothers. Justice Brothers have been a part of the Indy 500 far longer than I've been alive. Uh, sponsored cars run out of the AJ Foyt stable, one that I used to run back in the day in the good old Indy Racing League. Just they're, they are truly a part of the family in the same way that Cooper Tires happens to be. And so, yet again, uh, it was, wasn't even really a question of whether we would continue building on this first year together. So, just really cool. And I figured the first episode of the new year, I really should just pause up front and say thank you to you all. Because without you listening... Uh, Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com and Bell Racing Helmets, my other two partners that are continuing yet again as well. Uh, Those four pillars of what we do here, they probably are looking somewhere else. So thank you and thank you yet again. Going to get a hopefully little infographic going here. I don't know, end of the week, over the weekend, something like that had a chance to look back at the metrics coming out of 2019 for the podcast. should also say, if you hear a little bit of rumbling and ambient noise in the background, this is all fitting my unpolished turd policy. Well, I'm staring at our cat, Rocky, who is currently grooming his paw and biting his claws, which I think he's sharpening those because I'm his favorite scratching post. Doing some laundry. Mrs. Pruitt is currently enjoying a bath after uh, really wearing herself out yet again at physical therapy. So I tend to find an hour and a half to two hours to do these shows late at night when Mrs. Pruitt is busy pampering herself. And so I'm doing laundry in the background because we've got to leave early in the morning tomorrow, uh, Tuesday is a all day uh, grueling, I don't know, five, six hours in the chair for her with chemo, uh, the super heavy blast of everything. So it's just kind of my life, guys. Uh, and this is fun. This is an interlude. So if you ignore the clickety clack and Rocky handling his man junk behind me, uh, I can tell you that. We had 1.67 million downloads last year, which just obliterated our all-time traffic uh, figure for a year. Um, Amazing. Also tell you here the number that probably makes me the happiest. Because we post a lot of episodes per year. I've got three to four weekly shows. You multiply that by 52 weeks. I mean, it's a lot right there. We do a number of specials, right? I posted, what was it? 15 or 16 part, how Roger Penske changed Indy 500 thing in May. We've got our audio features, uh, other catching up with episodes, all kinds of stuff. We post a lot of episodes each year. Um, 
So looking at the traffic, overall traffic number, first impression might be, well, of course you're going to put up whatever number of total downloads. You post a crap ton of episodes. Well, the number that actually made me the happiest is our year-to-year growth as I continue to go through puberty and my voice goes a little wonky on me here. Uh, We had a 33.9% growth in downloads per episode. And so that's the thing that means the most to me is knowing that, no, we didn't just put up the biggest overall traffic number to date, but actually the per episode listens, those went up a lot. And so thank you yet again. (laughs) You're probably sick and tired of hearing me say thank you, but that's okay. Um, Every single month of the year, we had over 100,000 downloads one month. That was the month of May. Been more than a quarter million. Like I don't. I'm not. I'm probably going to suck this year. I don't think I'm going to eclipse any of it. But we'll employ Juan Montoya one more time. It is what it is. Uh, another quick item too, which blew me away. I hadn't really cottoned on to it before. Of the many little pieces of information that become available at the end of the year, you look at your most downloaded episode of all. And that was from April, an in-car audio feature that I posted of the 1991 Mazda RX-7 GTO machine running around Long Beach this year during the uh, the vintage IMSA sessions. And that four-rotor amazing thing put up the most traffic of any episode about anything for the year. And where I love that is if you know me if you've listened for a little while you know that uh, in-car audio and ambient auto audio features it's kind of a hallmark of my podcast three out of the four seasons we've done this started about halfway through 2016 of the four seasons we have done this podcast three of them have had in-car audio features as the most downloaded, most listened to podcast of all. I love that. That is so cool. It tells me that I'm not the only dork or idiot in the world that is enthralled by the sound of race cars. So I'll put some of that and maybe a few other little factoids into a little thank you infographic. But yeah, it's pretty cool. Really, really cool to see how the year shaped up. Uh, all frankly driven by y'all so there's all that uh one or two other final things to mention here another round of appreciation <clears throat> sounds like i'm about to cry when that happens doesn't it i don't know why i'm gonna take a sip of my north coast brewing company independent since 1988 i don't know what that means by the way like were they enslaved before or were they i don't know uh their brother thelonious belgian style abbey ale bottled bebop supporting jazz education well i love that because i love bebop jazz in particular really that's about all i love in terms of forms of jazz but i had to get this and i have been enjoying it i am it appears more than halfway through this glorious pint and 
that isn't contributing to the shoddy show, but need to wet my whistle here a little bit. So I stop having my pubescent phase and tell you that I really do appreciate the kind support you've lent a dear friend of mine, Bob Varsha learned over the weekend that Bob is joined many of us in the fight against cancer. And he has been hit with a really rare, hard form of prostate cancer and uh, won't get into all Bob's finances and whatnot. I'll just tell you that uh, the support that has come in quickly here in less than 24 hours, you all have helped raise where are we at? Yeah, I'm just tabbing over. I apologize. $35,408 in less than 24 hours for Bob Varsha. Uh, 458 now, who really and truly needs our support as he heads into a, a tough six months. Uh, the chemo he's going to be going through, where my wife has really hard, nasty chemo every couple of weeks, and then lighter weeks in between. Uh, Bob's staring at brutal chemo regimen uh, to try and get ahead of this. So uh, it's going to make working absolutely impossible. So thank you to everyone who has helped Bob, who's been a really beloved friend, immense supporter. I've gotten a chance to work with him a couple of times in the booth over the years. Uh, biggest, longest opportunity. One of the greatest highlights of my life in anything I've done professionally was helping to call the 2017 24 Hours of Le Mans, flying back to the Speed slash Fox studios in Charlotte for the weekend. Uh, one that I was in many, many, many times back when I worked at Speed. Uh, but being able to go back and spend the weekend as a member of the final, it was Fox's, Fox Sports's last 24 Hours of Le Mans team, and to spend that with Bob as the professor, as the crew chief, one who we all look up to, learn from, he, you know, he is the standard uh, for everyone to not just be a part of that team and that rotation, but to also get to spend a couple of hours in the morning, Sunday morning, Bob, myself, Tommy Kendall, I apologize, I know there is one other person, I might be forgetting who, but just three or four of us in there calling the race together for a couple of hours, knowing it was the last and our last. Beautiful, truly, just beautiful. Uh, Frank Wilson, super producer Frank Wilson in our ears, uh, just frankly wanting to put us together, knowing that we would love the experience together, uh, all with the knowledge that this would be coming to an end uh, a couple hours later. So, yeah, uh, having run Bob's son, Matt, in my endurance racing team years ago, 12, 13 years ago, um, and having Bob there with us and uh, the two of them, Matt and Bob, with my wife in our the little motorhome that we rented, and Matt eating the majority of the lasagna that she made, which still pisses her off to this day. Um, Bob and I spoke uh, yesterday or the day before. We'd spoken once or twice over the weekend, but um, 
that was his sign off because i he knew that he i guess he could hear my wife was somewhat nearby and he said yeah please please apologize again to chabrell for uh for matt uh wolfing down all the lasagna and uh we had a good laugh so uh, i hate the fact that so many of our friends the people who could be on tv calling the races the people on pit lane turning wrenches driving the trucks engineering you know there's it's a lot more people than you know about who are going through fights with cancer in indycar and they have chosen and asked for that inform that information to remain private not as if it was something that was quote going to be turned into a story but just uh there's a lot of folks who because we all look at things and prefer things different uh i've said hey you know i'll confide in you and tell you that i'm fighting this kind of cancer and just know that i'm rooting for your wife and you know obviously they know that we're rooting for them but they've also asked hey you know this is something we're doing uh without anyone else knowing about so it's a lot of people fighting cancer fighting other diseases and you just become part of this community and as I mentioned in the outset here of what I've been trying to do with this podcast now for a couple of years, build a little family of ours where we say funny things, silly things, serious things, ask questions, interact with drivers and all the other people who you might enjoy or entertain you, educate you. It's really all we're trying to do. Just support one another Uh, and drink beer while podcasting. Uh, And, the negative stuff comes with it. The sad stuff comes with it. Uh, so I hate that Bob's going through this, and I hate that so many others are as well. It's part of life. <laughs> it's just as much a part of life uh, as anything else. Uh, the negative you start to learn if you haven't had to go through it. The negative isn't, quote, bad, meaning life was good and now it's ruined. You can be if you want to look at it that way. Uh, you deal with it enough. Some of us have been through a lot of stuff like this. Might not be cancer directly, but losing family members and, you know, all kinds of things. You go through it enough, and if you haven't, and if what I'm about to say doesn't come across as, duh, Pruitt, you start to learn that it is life. It is not bad. It's not life going against you. It is just as normal as anything that is crazy, amazing, and positive. So, just dealing with it and wish that Bob hope that Bob and his wife are in a place here shortly, hopefully by June or so where we have some really positive news from them. Last thing to mention here as we do, as we open and close the intro portion of the weekend IndyCar listener Q and a is we call back to the previous episode in the listener Q&A items that come in on my Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page, and we pick the person whose question got the most likes, and we give you something. Why? Well, because we don't think you'd like us if we didn't give you stuff. And by we, I mean me. Um, kidding aside, our good friends at torontomotorsports.com, they make all the stuff, right? The podcast, Week in IndyCar, Week in Sports Car, whatever, T-shirts, the Robin Miller 2020 candidate t-shirts the joe tonto quarter retrieval t-shirts uh 
and stickers and mugs and all that. Well, we appreciate you. We appreciate the time you take to send in questions. So once a week, we look back previous episode, whose question got the most likes and give you something. So that's what we're going to do here yet again to kick off the new year. And if you do not, please check out our Marshall Pro podcast, Facebook page. And when I do send out the weekly call for questions, if you'd like to be in the running to get free stuff, that's the one and only place that I look. Uh, don't do it on Facebook. Be Facebook. Don't do it on Twitter because I'm not smart enough to know how to see whose question gets the most likes there. And I wonder this time is our pal Jim Kaiser. Jim's submission haiku yet again. Carlin's new driver will be announced very soon. His name is Jake Speed. That being in reference to <laughs> the former, my former teammate fellow mechanic at Five Ridge Racing, who's one of the world's greatest liars, who reached out before my birthday in early December and was regaling me with tales. Have not seen, thought of him, spoken to him since the day he was fired in 1989. Um, But yeah, uh, one of the world's great liars, and he just did not fail to deliver with more lies. So that, of course, being uh, his name is Gary, uh, he said he had to change his name to Jake Speed because he was hired by a NASCAR team, and they told him he had to give him something that was a little more NASCAR. So thanks for that, Jim. Hit me with that DM. Give me, get me your email address. And TorontoMotorsports.com will send you free things with my name and my ugly mug on it. For questions, oh, we got questions. We're going to go first. Gary Chin. Hey, Gary. Marshall, what happened to your French fry? Sebastian Bourdais and that second-place trophy he got in Toronto in 2013. Does he still have it? Was it replaced? That being the one, one of my favorite photos of the year that I and others happened to take was when they gave him his second-place trophy, and they're about to do the little podium dance, and they handed it to him, and it had a wooden base and a beautiful crystal trophy vase type thing on top of it and did not tell him that those pieces were not connected. So he went to hold it over his head, and the crystal went flying and crashed and broke, and Seb told me they replaced it. So that's a good thing, Gare. And I actually don't know. I I should catch up with Seb. I was thinking of having him on here as the first guest of the new year in the week in IndyCar, but then I realized, well, A, we love Colton Herta, but B... I don't know how much you can say right now. Um, yeah. So, and I don't just mean about the upcoming season. I'm talking more. I know there'd be tons of questions about Dale Coyne, and that's not really a topic he can get into too much. So I'm hoping we get to a point where the runway's clear and we can have our French fry on. And we can ask more questions, such as, based on yours, Gary, do you take it easy when holding up trophies? Uh, for now on, and since that happened as a result of it possibly falling on your head as it did. So, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, we're going to go to our man Logan Knapp. That's right. Son of what? 1998 Indy 500 Rookie of the Year, I think it was. Steve Knapp. Uncle Steve. One of my, I just love me some Steve Knapp. Uh, Logan, 
says Marshall, do you like dampers being as they are in IndyCar right now? Or could you see a future where there are different suppliers that offer their semi-spec homologated damper to tighten that side up? For those who aren't so much up on this topic or give a fart or learning a new uh, shock absorbers, also known as dampers, one and the same thing, in IndyCar, really one of the only more or less open areas on the car. Can't do anything you want. But you can do a lot, and because it's the one area IndyCar is left open, a lot of money gets spent there. And so some people complain very loudly and heavily, and uh, smoke or fire alarms going off. So I'm going to pause the recording and go tend to that. (laughs) Well, that was interesting. Uh... First ever episode interrupted by fire. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, yeah. So our Monday night recording uh, stopped when it was not a false alarm. Indeed, the multi-story kind of sort of condo, townhome, apartment a little really nice new thing we live in that's across from the hospital that we frequent uh, on a weekly basis. Uh, Someone on the third floor apparently mismanaged their dinner manufacturing process and managed to light their, I don't know the size of it, uh, little home apartment thing on fire. Uh, so as you might have heard, my dear wife was soaking in the tub at the time. So a bit of a lengthy process to get her out and up and ready. And, uh, we were the last to leave the building by probably five or 10 minutes, which didn't make me super happy, but there you go. So, uh, we stood outside in the cold for about two hours while that fire was put out and we were told uh, the third floor was i don't know if the whole thing but at least the area where the fire was was flooded fairly well good something so we're continuing here on a tuesday morning early tuesday morning uh the beer is in the fridge so it's probably going to be flat when i get to it next time around but you know, um, <laughs> our first show interrupted by fire. Uh, who knows? May it be the last of none compared to the first of many. Uh, we are in the middle of talking about dampers, weren't we? Oh, man. Uh, Logan, I'll just say this. We have a thing in IndyCar where this area is open. Some would like it closed due to cost. Uh Whenever you do that, unless you lock down everything else, it just becomes a game of whack-a-mole. All right, so you shut that down. Where else can we spend money? It's going to move somewhere. What I would say is IndyCar has, to my surprise, really truly fallen behind in this area. If we're talking technology, automotive industry, think about your mid-range Road car, modern road car, 
think about your higher end performance road car, it is very likely that it has some sort of electronically managed electro something adaptive damping that stiffens at higher speed, softens at lower, can be used in all kinds of amazing ways to improve vehicular dynamics through electronics, through electronic electronic interaction with those with the four corners of the car anti-roll as well there's so many things that really smart computerized based damping has taken road car performance to heights that we've never seen the fact that we're still farting around with just (laughs) old school-ish technology uh, in indycar seems like a big swing and a miss So my thought would be this, if I am assisting in the next rules for whatever 2022, 23, who knows when we're going to get a new car, I would say, guess what, Chevy and Honda, if this is an area that you want to bring in the road car side of your businesses, have them work directly with the teams, if you want to develop your own technology and then supply that to the teams compared to working on individual relationships, each team might have different things they want to try and explore. If this is something those manufacturers could sell to teams, if this is something where there could be R&D sponsorships spread across those teams to help the manufacturer do really high-end, impressive things that feeds back to their road car technology. I'd say even better, since there are many aftermarket damper manufacturers, opening things up actually even more. So going the opposite way, Logan, and saying, hey, teams, if you want to work with your engine supplier and their R&D side on damping, great, you can do that. Or you go out, strike relationships, business relationships, hopefully, with a Saks, with a Bilstein, with a whomever, and see what you can come up with there and try and go your own route where not only do you have the same style of customized damping that we have today, but actually true high-end electro-infused controlled something that not just mirrors what we use today, but actually might help on the R&D side for those companies and have our teams get paid for it. This is the thing that we've lost sight of in so many ways in IndyCar once we've gone totally spec. It's the, hey, company that sells things that once upon a time used IndyCar racing to develop their product, improve their product, market their product. So many avenues like that have been just shut down, a door bolted shut and forgotten about because it's not allowed. And so... There is a link here, Logan, where teams, most teams are crying to find more money. Well, what happens when vast majority of the automotive industry is just simply cut off from being able to work with teams to try and use something different on the cars? I mean, there's a real direct relationship that we don't have in far too many ways. Could this be one of them? I hope it should be. It was a thing. It was a thing for many years. It has not been. Maybe it's time to step into, 
I wouldn't even say the future, man. I'd say just modern times and bring modern electronically controlled damping into IndyCar and let the teams reap, hopefully, the financial benefit of working with manufacturers, either automotive or aftermarket, to get better, to get smarter, and restore at least one link back to an industry that hasn't had a home. Go to our friend Brian Cohn, referring to our very early December episode where Aero McLaren SP General Manager, Managing Director, I believe is now the new title, Taylor Kyle, was our guest. Brian says, I was very disappointed to hear that Taylor wouldn't give a young person wanting to work in motorsports a shot in the same way he was given a shot. Basically, he said he wouldn't give himself the chance today that he was given back in the day. He said that lack of interest in mentoring and giving a hand up to someone is far too common in both motorsports and society. I was really looking forward to this interview, and in the first few minutes, his attitude turned me off. Damn shame, as without people that gave him, you, and me a shot, uh, do any of us end up working in the industry. I can't argue with your sentiment at all, Brian. I truly can't. And that did flash through my head as well when he was sharing that piece of information. But I also come at it from maybe a slightly, slightly different perspective. And that is, if this was a year ago, one year ago, 12 months ago, I think Taylor's answer would be different, very different. Would say that, Knowing how much Arrow invested into the team, how bullish they were coming into 2019 about, look, we've renamed our entire organization in honor of the investment from Arrow, and we're putting more money into this and that, and just we are taking the big step up. They were very direct in saying we want to plan and have every intent of joining IndyCar's big three Andretti Autosport, Chip Ganassi Racing, and Team Penske. And it simply did not happen. It didn't even come close. They had a midfield year, and it was not a pleasant experience. So knowing that there was, yet again, a swing and a miss, I can understand how Taylor's mindset is one of, we have a new partner in McLaren, We have even more investment to go forward. This is not the time to experiment or open up the books for young new people to get made or inexperienced people to learn on our dime. This is not the year to do that. If I was in Taylor's position, Brian, I would make the exact same call. Send me your contact info, send me your resume, I'm going to put it on file, I'm going to make a note, I'm going to set a little calendar alert in mid-August to take a look at everything that I've put into that file as we start to think about 2021, but this coming year, knowing that we're coming off of a year where we underperformed in every regard, I absolutely have to focus on being the best, most efficient, most polished, most everything 
there to get the results they need. Just simply focus on results. You might say, but you could still groom people. I get that. Totally get that. I would just say that the demonstration of a fully focused and performing unit is the priority here. I don't want to overstate things. This is not meant to be any kind of alarmist comment. It is visiting reality, though. I've mentioned before that McLaren is a partner. They don't own anything. They haven't purchased one penny's worth of the team that Sam Schmidt started that he co-owns with Rick Peterson. But we do know that McLaren has become very close, very close with Aero, which is now also a sponsor of the McLaren Formula One team. We know that McLaren is really being looked to and looked at as the kind of service agent for Aero's motor racing sponsorships in IndyCar and Formula One. I think the good folks at, we'll just call them SPM, Schmidt-Peterson Motorsports, I think they recognize while they have this awesome new partnership and they have a big name in McLaren and all kinds of things that are the best they've ever been financially and capability-wise, if they do not deliver, there is a very real risk of McLaren saying, thanks, we're going to go do our thing and pretty quickly, and Arrow's coming with us. And in that scenario, we have pretty distressing things to talk about. Does that mean SPM would no longer exist? No. But without Arrow, someone's going to have to spend a lot of money for them to keep going. And so this is looking a year, two, three down the road, big picture-ish type stuff. But uh, I think Taylor, well, I know Taylor is smart enough to assess the overall scenario, Brian, and say, you know what? This isn't the time. And we hope to get to a time where we are successful, running up front. Everything is just firing perfectly. Now we can start to get back to grooming and growing new and interesting talent, which is something they've done pretty much forever. But coming back to the central point, now just isn't the time. Uh, let's see, where do we go next? And I've got for about 45 minutes before we need to head out the door and go play chemotherapy. Um, Stuart Aerith, I'm not sure if I've, I've had a question from you before. Um, he asked why some of the Chevys have wheels with lips around the edge. You mentioned uh, the Penske's, which are chromes, uh, whereas you mentioned the Andretti cars did not. Um, I could be wrong, but I believe everybody runs the Aero wheels, A-E-R-O, and that's just a generic name for those that have the lip around the uh, outer edge of the wheels, which simply provide more aerodynamic uh, properties to cut through the air. Uh, their wheel vendors are open. Uh, some teams have deals and or long-standing relationships where they continue to use one brand over another but i gotta believe at least on the front wheels Stuart, just about everybody's on the arrow uh, wheel program i have to admit 
I, I haven't focused as closely on that as maybe maybe I should because this is an admission of being a guy that's maybe done this too long. There's some things you see them for 10, 20, 30 years, and you don't really, you know, focus on them anymore. But I'll try and take a closer look, Stuart, and if I can come to a, a less half-assed answer, I'll, I'll fire it back in here. Um, Todd Murray, you say, MP, where can I send a sample of Wisconsin's finest quote? Did somebody use this bottle to empty the differential oil? Uh, stouts or porters? Uh, thanks, Todd. You know, I actually mentioned your question to my wife and she gave me this cross-eyed response like are you seriously gonna have people sending you beers to drink during the show to which i said no no but i would todd appreciate any recommendations for some fine thick uh differential oil grade beer uh that i might consume either while doing this show or if i'm in your fine state or whomever's fine state uh I don't drink a lot of beer, but I'm trying to get back to enjoying uh, beer at least once a week. So, yeah, send me your ideas. And you, some of you all have been plenty, and I appreciate that. So, uh, I guess keep it up. Uh, let's see. Sean Lee. Lots of NASCAR drivers strive to come to run a Indy, the Indy 500. You ask what Indy drivers, especially the champs with the Penske tie-in, would run Daytona? Hmm. Uh, how's this of the three Penske IndyCar drivers? I think Joseph Newgarden is the only one who would really thrive. And I'm not saying win in NASCAR. I don't know if he would, but of the three, I think Joseph would be the clear, uh, the clear leader among those three. Um, we have a situation with, Simon Pagano, where he is so particular about his need for the handling of a car that the just totally forget everything you've ever learned about driving and the the way a cup car handles might never compute to you type thing, I think would just throw him for too big of a loop. Um, would say that Will Power has just never demonstrated a real interest in NASCAR that I know of. I mean, he might have said he'd like to try it, but I mean... Really, like, hey, guys, I want to make this happen. Never seen it. Joseph has. And I'd just say that his driving style, his abilities, he's a guy who's not bothered by much. Doesn't mean there aren't handling traits that he doesn't like that don't bother him, but they don't translate into reduced speed. His teammates, I think, would actually be off a little bit just not able to wrap their head around this wonky, heavy, rolling, farting herd of, of a vehicle to drive uh, in cup. Joseph, I think, would just adapt to it better because all the things that it would do that he wouldn't like and wouldn't make sense, I don't think you would see the correlating reduction in speed. Uh, that's one of Joseph's greatest attributes in IndyCar. It's one of the reasons why uh, he took Ed Carpenter Racing to its highest state of performance and success. And then at Team Penske, has won two championships in three years. The guy is numb. I mean numb like he doesn't know what's going on with the car, but he's almost just neutral to whatever it does. Cool, you're oversteering, you're understeering, whatever it is. 
cool you do that i'm still gonna go flat out balls out and you're going to see a pretty remarkable performance from it it's the hallmark of the all-time greats not saying joseph is an all-time great i am saying he has the traits of and if he continues doing what he is doing which i have to believe is going to take place for many years to come we're going to be talking about someone who was just beyond special beyond special uh, in indycar so i would absolutely say joseph newgarden would be that person sean uh let's see kevin devries how you doing kev you sent in a whole bunch of stuff here so i'm just going to read through it and uh hope you all enjoy it because i actually love this question this is mp got wondering after your chat with connor daly recently how does the indycar point system work with two drivers sharing the same car he says do the points combine and stay with the car and the driver that does the majority of the races or do the points stay with the driver regardless of the number of events or is it different depending on the scenario uh well how's this we have a situation kevin where when it comes to the drivers there is no distinction made in the driver's points standings as to who they drove for so think of those points whenever a driver climbs into a car belongs to them and so in the the driver's standings guy could drive for 17 different could be in 17 different cars for the 17 races wouldn't matter they would all add up to whatever number that would be theirs on the team side it's kind of similar except it's from the car's standpoint if we're looking at the team's quote championship the the ranking there which helps towards IndyCar's handing out of its leader circle contracts uh that doesn't really take into account who drives what or when if a vehicle is on track that entry the entry number for i don't know let's say carlin racing the carlin racing number 23 that might have five people in it this coming season well as long as that car is on the track at every round or however many rounds it is going to earn points that entry the number 23 entry is what earns the points so that's the way to think of it drivers carry their own points throughout the year and add up to whatever they wherever they fall in the rankings and each entry does the same on the team side uh you also mentioned a couple of observations he says in looking at the year's highlights the pocono telestrator duel among sato rossi and all uh, has to join the jack harvey uh clap for deserved ridiculousness absolutely absolutely he also mentioned does ryan hunter ultimately have to switch teams to confuse and ultimately lose the persistent cloud of miasma also known as uh, the cartoon anvil falling from the sky the acme cartoon anvil which has followed him far too many times i don't think he has to change teams i think this coming year i really do think this coming season kevin is going to be a good one for our man ryan hunter ray uh i can't tell you why i may be wrong but i just i hope our man can just have an uncluttered uh an uncluttered uh season ahead and rock it out you know he's somebody who uh, one of the really amazing talents in indycar and also one of its greatest 
citizens. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm hoping we don't have to talk about that damn cartoon anvil anymore with him. Uh, let's see. Silly season 2019 hasn't finished, but part of the thrill of the new season is evaluating how people do in securing their futures towards that end. Besides willpower, what other contracts do we know of coming due at the end of 2020? Well, Ryan Hunter is one of them. I believe Pagano is one of them as well. Uh, who else comes to mind? If we're talking you know, big pieces. Dixon, maybe? Maybe? I, I could be wrong on that one. Need to check up on this one a little bit, but there are definitely two or three pieces at the end of the year that could be, uh, could be of interest to others. Uh, Kevin closes by saying, Every stitch of safety equipment I own has Bill Simpson's name on it, and some of it has been unfortunately battle-tested. Walls hurt, so I'm on the list of those who owe him. It's time for a new helmet, though, and I expect to get a bell, and thanks for their support for your podcast. Is there any way to make sure you get the tiny bit of credit for that? Well, thanks, Kev. Seriously, that's really awesome. Um, our good friends at Bell love what we do and do listen, so uh, just say thank you. Yet again, thank you, thank you. Let's go to Masao Nakatani, who says, Guys, you're casting a Charlie Brown Christmas with the drivers of IndyCar. Who would be cast as who? All right, this is awesome, Masao. Thank you for sending it in, and you know that I love these kind of make-it-up stuff type questions. Well, so I can only think of three. Three Charlie Brown characters who really need to be cast. The rest... I don't know, a little bit forgettable. Peppermint Patty, who cares? Uh, I would say Pigpen, absolutely. We'd need Pigpen. Charlie Brown is one for sure. And Lucy, right? The dynamic of who's the dirtiest Pigpen, who's Charlie Brown, the gullible one, and who's Lucy, the one who's always baiting Charlie to come and run and kick that football and pull it away at the last moment to which he then falls on his backside uh for the pig pen and there's no way to answer this without someone hating me um where should we go who who should we who should we call out here for that some of y'all are probably thinking me just fine you know I, i might not be able to argue with you on that one um hmm who do we go to for pig pen i mean they're Let's do this just because it would piss him off. We would have to say Pagano, right? I mean, he is so inch perfect. Every little hair and always smells great and everything is perfectly pressed. It just, we'd have to name Pat. I don't think he'd know, get the reference, but regardless, Pagano is pig pen because it just frustrated him to no end. Then who do we go to for the gullible one? who's always just willing to do something and doesn't fully get it. I think Ray Hall, right? And this probably piss him off too. He's a guy that, you know, he's a sweetheart. I love Graham, but he's also someone where you can F with him. And it sometimes takes him a moment to get it. Are you serious? Are you serious? No, okay, you're, you're not. You're just playing. He doesn't always get it. That kind of strikes me as, hey, yeah, no, come on, Charlie. Come kick the football. I think I think we'd have to put good old Graham in there as, as Chuck. Lucy, that'd have to be Marco Andretti, right? 
uh, he's just known as the prankster in the paddock, the guy who's just always looking to put one over on people. So I think, Masao, that's our that's our cast. Uh, where do we go next? It's got a, a little bit under a half an hour here to uh, to complete this episode. Uh, da, 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 da. There's a lot of good stuff here, by the way. Damien Cesario. Man, all right, Damien, I actually had to look this one up to answer it, and I feel really stupid. But thank you for highlighting this. It says, Marshall, will we hear any more of your My Racing Life and Career segment podcasts in 2020? So when you sent this in, Damien, my first thought was, huh, I guess maybe he didn't catch all the ones that went out in 2019. Because in my head, maybe keeping in mind that 2019 was a little bit of a strange one for me, where my season more or less stopped in the latter portion of May. Um, in my head, Damien, man, we were cranking out the My Racing Life and Careers. Those my long-form interview shows just delve into someone's, exactly as the title says, life and career. I intentionally don't do much research Often I know the person and know their career fairly well, but I don't really try and burrow in and come up with a 40 questions to ask. It's just meant to be more of a wandering, get to know the person uh, in new ways type thing. And so based on your question, I went back and took a look. In 2018, I posted a dozen episodes. So although it wasn't timed this way, it did work out to be basically one a month. 2019, in my head, Damien, man, I was right on track. Same thing. And I posted three. (laughs) Which leads to an awesome question like yours, which, whether it was intended or not, served as a little kick in the backside to say, hey, Pruitt, hey, idiot. Yeah, so, you know, maybe you need to get your head straight a little bit here and Get some my racing life and careers moving because you're kind of not doing a very good job of that. So, yes, that is without a doubt a an absolute priority for me to get some of these going. I'm taking a quick look right now. I have ones that I recorded last year with George Mack, uh, one year IndyCar driver, phenom- just It was a phenomenal conversation, all thanks to George and his dad who showed up. We did that at Long Beach. He owns a auto repair store a mile away from the Long Beach uh, downtown circuit. Uh, That was a blast. I did one in 2018 with sports car team owner and I think one or two year IndyCar team owner, Peter Barron, which, oh, I mean, it is truly an epic, epic sit-down, all thanks to Peter and his usual crazy tales um, of his life. I'm looking through here. Have one from 2018 with Takuma Sato that I really enjoyed. That one's actually ready to go, so I'll get that up here shortly. Have one with Porsche legend Alwyn Springer. Uh, who's become a friend, which blows me away, because this guy, I realize it's sports car, not so much IndyCar, but he, you know, this guy's just a legend among legends. Uh, Brian Till, 
in 2018, maybe 2019. I'm not sure. We captured the second part of his racing life and career. I have one here with Gary Nelson, former NASCAR uh, chief of lots of stuff, uh, super longtime NASCAR crew chief with so many people and who's been in charge of the Action Express Racing Sports Car Team, championship-winning team, that too. Oh, it's Again, it's the guests. Just insane how good the sit-down with Gary was, and we have to do a, a part two and part three because we didn't have all the time we needed. And I see one more that I have with my friend Terry Malone, who worked at All-American Racers forever, was Mario Andretti's, uh, chief mechanic with uh, some significant wins, guy who grew up in Southern California, traveled the world, has been in the media, uh, writing and doing photography and all kinds of stuff. And so we did that, captured that at Long Beach last year as well. So what's that? Seven, eight, something like that episodes, Damien. So I got enough here and I need to record more. Only thing that bums me out about not being able to go to Daytona this year is it's often a place where I can sit down and get four or five of these. So provided I'm able to travel by March, I'm really hoping to do that at Sebring and get some of our uh, some of our friends, both on the sports car and IndyCar side, to share some more long tales about their lives and career see where shall we go next ryan ward said marsh with all the hoopla surrounding the wc hypercar and imsa dpi 2.0 compatibility desires of the many manufacturers wouldn't it be prudent for indycar to potentially share their next chassis with other series in order to attract other manufacturers one series that comes to mind in particular is the japanese super formula series honda competes in IndyCar and there, and could potentially cut costs by sharing a common chassis and power unit in each series. And he says, if Toyota already had the chassis and engine because of Super Formula, it would be much easier for them to justify dipping their toe back into IndyCar. So this gets mentioned somewhat frequently, Ryan. The why doesn't IndyCar adopt Super Formula rules or chassis or something, or vice versa? I'd say the only way this works is the vice versa. If the Japanese Super Formula wanted to start using whatever the DW22 or 23 or whatever the Dallara chassis is going to be called, um, and the engine formula, then there might be something. But there's no way on the planet Earth that the 100-plus-year-old IndyCar series and formula is going to change what it does to accommodate the possibility of a very smallish regional, awesome, but small and very hyper regional open wheel series uh, to attract more of something. So uh, I think it'd be great if the Japanese super formula folks said, yeah, Hey, uh, we want to opt in and then we can play back and forth if we want to. And so on and so forth. But Yeah, um, not a bad idea, but the one I've seen mentioned most often, not what you mentioned, Ryan, is the why doesn't IndyCar adapt itself to their thing? I never understand that. Um, 
never understand that. Uh, so, yeah, uh, if they were to do that, I think that'd be pretty cool and smart. But I, you know, would also say that if they, they collectively, teams running in the Japanese Super Formula, wanted to be here, they'd be here. Uh, it's not grossly expensive to run an IndyCar uh, or partner with a team. Um, the engine compatibility side, definitely something interesting there, but you know, the, the, the doing something like this in the hope that someone else will opt in, you know, that, that's never really a strong play. Is it? If anything, it kind of reeks a desperation a little bit. Uh, let's go to Gary Petrie who says, Marshall, why do some drivers not enjoy racing with James Davison? Well, I can't say all the reasons because I'm not on track with them to then share their understanding. But I know that I've heard a number of drivers uh, privately and some publicly uh, y'all might've seen who just think that when James shows up every year for Indy, he has no care about them, does not believe that his entry, whomever it happens to be run by possesses mirrors uh, to see who is around or accommodate them and is just always willing to take big, big risks that either invite crashes or cause others to back off to avoid being taken out or getting caught up in a wreck that he may or may not cause. So I'm not saying all those things are accurate. I love the kid. He's uh, phenomenally talented. He's a pain in the ass at times, but that's nothing new in racing. I'm a pain in the ass. Um, he's also someone who just does not accommodate people's complaints. Uh, if you come to him, yell at him, whatever, he's not going to say, sorry, he's going to tell you to go F yourself. If not twice. And that's just who he is. There's a reason why he continues to get picked up to race at Indy because the guy can go pretty darn quickly. So he just doesn't jive well with a number of folks who do this on a full-time basis. And I guess I need to use Juan Montoya yet again. It is what it is. Uh, if the guy was a true hazard, then I'm sure IndyCar would stand him down. But, you know, the guy just plays the margins a little bit closer than some of the full-timers. And I don't think that comes across as very comfortable for them. And then when you're a bit defiant and unrepentant as well, when being called out for that behavior, just adds up to a block of people that just loathe the guy. Uh, there we go. All right. Where are we going to go as we start to wind down a little bit? Uh, Joshua Ponce. Uh, since you started to have the occasional beer during the Q and a shows, what about having whiskey or bourbon? All right. So need to draw a line here, Joshua. I am not a hard liquor guy. Never have been. Uh, will I have something, a sweet drink that has some tequila in it? Sure. But I've just never had a taste for brown liquor. Uh, vodka pretty much makes me vomit immediately. I just, I don't know, never had a taste for hard alcohol. So uh, let's see. Brett Ross, no question. Just wanted to say that I've enjoyed, enjoyed the podcast. 
this past year. And thanks for the laughs. With you, not at you. Oh, dang it, I'm, I'm failing there then. He says, the fun and information that you've given us this year. That's really nice, man. Uh, he, he also mentioned, hope you've had some wolf turds lately, which if you happen to listen to my Dinner with Racers season one uh, appearance, we ate at a local joint named the Smoking Pig, where their signature plate is uh, something they call wolf turds jalapenos with i think it's pulled pork inside uh with something else and uh, they do i mean granted i'm not an expert in what comes out the backside of wolves but i can tell you that it does look like something that would come out of the back of a wolf there by the name wolf turds it's actually pretty uh pretty accurate uh let's see Ian Keyworth, Marshall, I know you don't like to get political, but just for fun, in light of Boris Johnson's election win here in the UK and President Trump's love of Boris and desire to do a big deal with the UK, does this mean we get an IndyCar race and IMSA? Uh, ha And can we think of some good venues like Donington Park? Woo, man, Ian, I would love to see IndyCar go back to the UK. Would also say that going back to what, where I believe it originally went, Brands Hatch, on the full circuit that oh, <laughs> uh, yes that would be they would need to put a fence around the top of the circuit because i think over some of the flying over some of the corners we could get big air big big air we would need to fence in the top to keep the cars within the boundaries of the facility that would be my choice man uh let's see eric carlson you ask uh, if I could bring back IROC, basing it off of the 2019, who would be my 12 drivers out of North America and what tracks? And let's see, don't have a lot of time here, Eric. So uh, maybe throw this one back in and I'll try and get to it in the next episode, which is coming up in a day or two. Uh, yeah, Howard Bennett. I love this one. Marshall, I have one question to round out, uh, the 2019 season. He says in Robin Miller's book review for racer magazine around Christmas, there behind him in his den was a tube of what looked like supermarket generic brand Pringle type potato chips. Is our hero a cost conscious salt and vinegar, cheddar and sour cream, ranch, or even the exotic blueberry and hazelnut flavor kind of guy? Oh my goodness, Howard. Blueberry and hazelnut? I, that's not something I've seen. So the the secret about Robin Miller is this. He is 70 years old now. And he eats, continues to eat like a picky two-year-old. It is the funniest thing. Truly the funniest thing. Might have heard me throw this out before, but if we go to dinner, you know, during the month of May, for example, we usually go to dinner multiple times, and it's a fun cast. TV's Dave first, the amazing PR man Steve Shunk, I don't know, Dario or Hinch or Dave Scoggin. Just, it's this, just this motley, motley cast. Go grab food wherever. And Miller will just eat like a two-year-old. Pick at little something, won't eat anything, doesn't want anything on the menu as delivered, right? There, there's essentially, unless it's a hamburger or a pork tenderloin, you go and have Mexican food, there's nothing. There's not a single thing he will eat as presented on the menu. 
It's just a little plate of chicken that he picks away at or otherwise. He has, Howard, this thing where, you know, I guess having been on the planet since 1949, you can kind of do that. And you just say, nope, this is working. That isn't working. And don't mess with me on anything else. And so I mention all this because I thought the same thing. Like, all right, what is that? What is, what is the guy eating? I couldn't see what it was, but it did look very basic. And that's the, the, the little thing here with Miller. He's not going to be the one eating the exotic flavored whatever. It's going to be plain potato chips. And so that's the other thing that just kills me. So during the month of May, Miller comes in every morning and he brings all kinds of stuff, right? It, it is like, it's like a child was let loose at a 7-Eleven and told, your sustenance for the day, well, if not for your life, all the things you can find at a small convenience store only. Not a grocery store, <laughs> not a little farm, uh, but just all the pre-processed crazy stuff that you would find at the standing to check out or pay for your gas. That's Miller's diet more often than not. So other than bringing in Long's Donuts, which is something that causes everyone to come running to get one, Miller brings in candy by the pound, many pounds of candy. He brings potato chips, like bags and bags, and bottles of Pepsi. That, that's the thing he drinks and survives on. Now, coming back to your note here about flavor, Howard, would Robin Miller bring a bag of salt and vinegar? cheddar this sour cream that ranch something no plain ass (laughs) potato chips just you know in a world where a thousand options exist he goes straight to the basic most ordinary one possible and that's what he loves and lord love him because there aren't many like him left who truly just go for the most basic and do not want anything else last thing to mention here howard on your video observation with miller is this is something that i love every time there's only so much i can do when i'm editing these things by the way when he's sitting at his desk you'll notice a bunch of post-it notes behind him and or other things that are taped on his desk i am fairly confident those are all passwords <laughs> Ah, and so what would you do naturally if you are filming a video of yourself in front of your desk uh you would have all of your passwords readily available to the public now one of the good things and i haven't had to do any digital blurring of whatever is focus wise and depth of field wise mainly due to the lighting because there's not enough light when he's filming, usually, uh, is you don't get clarity. You don't get those bits in focus. But I would, the thing, here's the thing that mystifies me, Howard. So what I, again, believe are passwords to everything on all these post-it notes. Please check it out, you all, when you watch the next one from Robin and tell me if you think I'm on to something here. I just have assumed all along that Robin's passwords for everything is the word password 
So I haven't tried to hack anything, nor would I, nor am I asking you to, but I've been mildly surprised because instead of seeing multiple passwords written, multiple post-it notes and whatnot, I would think there'd just be one that says password (laughs) that kind of uh, covers everything. So anyways, that's our man Miller. Uh, I, he sent my wife and I, uh, an amazing gift for, uh, for Christmas. He sent me a book and sent my wife and I something that was just beautiful and generous. And you guys don't get to really see that side of Miller, uh, because you know, he doesn't really put that out there, nor does he care to, but, uh, beneath the crust and the, the stab marks and the corrosion, the guy actually has a really beautiful heart. Uh, let's go to Clark Wilson. It says, I remember reading about Team Strange, and it's actually Team Stange. Stange. There's no R in it, uh, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but there you go. It says, I remember reading about Team Stange going part-time with Oriole Servia next year in Racer. Is that still on, or did plans fall through? I can tell you, Clark, I've heard nothing about it. Uh, it's been, I don't know, a month or two since I've caught up with Oriole, so I should do that. But yeah, having spoken with Mr. Stange, Strange, or whatever, at Indy last year, he did say, yes, we're trying to do a deal with Schmidt to do something more regularly next year. We know that that's not really an option with McLaren in the frame. And he also mentioned a desire to uh, do something with Andretti Autosport. And I don't believe they have space. And with our man, fast freaking Fernando, uh, awaiting confirmation there for Indy. I really don't see how they go beyond seven cars for the 500. Uh, da, 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 da. All right. Going to grab one or two more here and then say farewell for this episode, knowing that we will be back very, very quickly with new, new questions. Um, how about... Let's go to our man, Ed Joris. A technical question for you, Marshall. Have you followed the development of E-Turbos? Yes, I have. Not all the electric ones, but the ones like the Garrett E-Turbos that are essentially simple 48-volt MGUH units that use electricity to spin up the turbo at low-engine revs and store electricity in a small battery on overboost instead of using a wastegate. Rumor is that one of the IndyCar OEMs, Honda, will be bringing this to market in 2020 as a 48-volt system on the performance version of their passenger cars, couldn't something like this be used in in the present IndyCar in lieu of the heavier, more costly Kurs-like system? Um, it could. This is more or less a standalone hybrid system attached to the turbo. Uh, it does have its own little uh, battery-type sorry my voice my voice is driving me mad it's been doing this thing for about a month now and i don't know why it's probably the lord telling me to shut up um it's an interesting package ed i don't know where it gets placed and that's the part where the using it now on the present chassis is the problem so while it's not a big solution here it is something where there's just no space currently provisioned for such an item. And so there's that. As for could it be used 
when they do a new chassis, it could. It certainly could. There are a couple of different, call them uh, hybrid turbo arrangements, some that can charge a battery and send uh, that energy back to the uh, to the motor more or less directly. Uh, there are some you know smaller, as you mentioned here, type solutions. There are some bigger solutions as well that where the turbo and using the spinning turbine shaft can charge up whatever instead of kind of a built-in solution like this you know call it a pre-packaged off-the-shelf situation that energy can be harvested and sent to whatever type solution that might be uh, used there are definitely some interesting options here i would expect something like this not necessarily the off-the-shelf package but uh, i would say something like this is going to take place there's going to need to be something coming off of the turbos if we are going to have, as IndyCar said they want to and will, have energy recovery and uh, electronic horsepower boost on the ovals. Because obviously with no braking of any consequence throughout the race, or repeated braking, I should say, you're not going to be charging the uh, Kurs battery uh, on ovals. So you need something that is spinning constantly to help do that. Uh, in lieu of braking, and the turbos really do stand out as an option there. Not the only way to do that. There's a lot of other things that are spinning and moving that could charge, but uh, that is the one that has maybe received the most amount of development uh, that IndyCar could look into. Um, Let's see. Let's go to Nick Vance. Hey, Nick. All right, it's time to show my technical arrogance. What can be done to the current cars to improve speedway racing? says, I watched and rewatched the 98th Indy 500s, uh, the 98th through the 100th Indy 500s over the recent weekend. It was beyond amazed by the insanity um, of the passing during the 99th running. Obviously, the cars have changed drastically uh, from the manufacturer air kits to the universal air kits. Last year, they allowed the addition of gurney flaps to the front rear wings. Didn't seem to make a substantial difference. Texas was far from the beehive it was a few years back. And Pocono is downright boring. Is it a new rear wing? Do they slap those rear wheel pods back on behind the rear tires? Parachutes, Hanford devices. Although I know we won't see anything change here soon, would like to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point, Nick. I mean, what, when the cars were simplified in this DW12 era, they certainly, you know, the, the amount of passing that took place if we're just really talking the Indy 500, was pretty darn good. Um, going to the Universal Aero Kit, taking those rear wheel pods off, that's been the thing that has really monkeyed with stuff quite a bit. And although they're really ugly, uh, they did reduce drag enough to not just make the cars a little slipperier, but also, most importantly, clean the air up coming off of the cars so what we have now is more turbulence hitting the cars uh, that are pursuing one another and it has made pulling out and passing getting up close and not encountering heavy amounts of understeer which then makes passing pretty darn impossible and or throwing the car around a bit um, that's the thing that has hurt 
especially. So taking those rear wheel pods off, although we've we've won visually, the cars are prettier, we have suffered a bit because the wake is certainly less friendly and has complicated the ability to have as much passing. You might say, well, hey, what about the previous chassis, which didn't have them at all? Very true. But those cars were also just extremely slippery and low drag by comparison. Uh, those were you know, arrows, missiles just firing through the air. Uh, what we have now is a lot of compromises done to a car. Uh, between the floor and just all kinds of things that are different with the DW12 now with this UAK18 aero kit that's gone through a couple rounds of modifications. There's just a lot of effort been done to try and make the car what they'd hoped it was from the outset in terms of aero performance on the speedways, and we haven't really seen it, Nick. So what can be done it's maybe a bit of a punt for an answer. That was with a P, uh, not another letter, much closer to the beginning of the alphabet. Uh, it's a bit of a punt, but I do believe that we're going to have to design an all-new chassis, all-new everything for us to really get this right. Uh, not trying to bag on the DW12 yet again, but I'm just impressed with how much IndyCar has done to improve the vehicle since it debuted. And... I just am fairly confident in saying there's going to have to be a, a redesign of the entire concept, arrow, just everything, for us to potentially get back to this place where passing is less of a holy cow risk. You don't want passing to be, I don't want passing to be easy, but I don't want it to be a thing where I don't know if I'm going to crash, not because I lack talent, uh, but because the car is going to be too unstable to allow me to do this. Um, that's the thing that has to be addressed, Nick. Where I believe IndyCar might go with this as well, knowing that Tino Belli, who's their head of aerodynamic development, who is a longtime IndyCar and open-wheel chassis designer, aerodynamic specialist, is to come up with a pretty significant range of options to address this uh, really work through a bunch of stuff in the testing phase to get the car right so much of what happened with the dw12 and making it whatever it is or has been has taken place after it was manufactured and hit the ground and was mass produced i am fairly confident in saying they will put a ton of time into getting this next car right in the testing phase so that what comes out does not then require brutal amounts of time and money to try and make it work the way they had hoped. Uh, let's see, where are we going? Where are we going to more or less close the show? You know, we're going to go to Dan Tenoff. Dan, I don't know if I've read a question for you from you, but thank you for sending this in. He does say, I'm one of this uh, past season's new listeners. Looking forward to what 2020 has to come. Also says, I hope for the both of us, it will bring delicious new dark beers to sample. Dan says, your soapbox moment at the end of the December 5th Q&A show regarding IndyCar's future car really got me thinking. Says, hashtag me personally, the official, the official. 
haven't had any beer. I've just had coffee and I can't even get this crap right. Hashtag me personally. IndyCar's goal for the 2022 chassis should be as follows. A revised safety tub to better integrate the newly introduced aero screen. The aero kit should be spec, hopefully with more of a 1990s cart flair to it. Think low and mean looking. And for the powertrain, it should be open to the manufacturer's choice of propulsion, internal combustion engine, electric vehicle, hydrogen, whatever the manufacturer feels is relevant to them. They can run it as long as it fits into your aforementioned box between the back of the tub and the start of the bell housing. He says the balance of performance for it all is the cars must meet a spec power to weight ratio. He says for the electric vehicles will probably be heavier than the internal combustion engine powered cars because of the batteries they have to carry. So they will be allowed a higher horsepower cap to counter their weight disadvantage. Common tire supplier will provide for each manufacturer. The tires will probably need to be more optimized for the weight of the various powertrains. Common vehicle architectures are all the rage in the auto industry now. He says Toyota's TNGA architecture, Volkswagen's MQB platform, this meaning major manufacturers tend to come up with some form of chassis or possibly engine that gets used across multiple vehicles, even under multiple brands. He says, can IndyCar develop a common safety tub that not only runs Indy 500, but also can be used throughout the feeder series? Aero kits, suspension, and powertrains can vary with each rung of the ladder. This can spread out the costs of a new chassis development. New owners may be lured into either direction of the development ladder since they already own a core piece of the car. Close here with Dan saying, thank you for all the work you all have done this year, not only for fans, but all the while still being at your wife's side. Happy holidays and new year to Mrs. Pruitt and you. Well, that's really, truly sweet, Dan. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm with you, man. This I didn't go into as great a detail as you did, and I appreciate this. But yeah, this is more or less what I was getting at. Uh, since we don't know where the automotive industry is headed, I don't think IndyCar can really narrow things down to a really small spec. It must be this type of thing, and you got to use this only uh, for the next five years once it comes out in 2022. I love the direction, though. You know, BOP, uh, yeah, again, we're not going to try and BOP, but I do like the idea of, hey, this is the target power to weight ratio. Uh, no matter what type of propulsion system you use, this is the target number. This allows you to use the thing to power the cars, manufacturers, and promote the thing that means the most to you while giving a relatively fair and equal-ish platform to do that. I I'm right there with you. This, I, there's nothing I can argue with here. Uh, I would say, let's put a stamp on it and make it the reality. Uh, is it going to cost money? Of course, racing costs money. Right now we're looking for ways to give more manufacturers a reason to come in and play. Right now we have two manufacturers who've been here, the only ones since 2013. Uh, we're in 2020, man. Think about all this time, all the possibilities not a single automotive manufacturer has said, yes, IndyCar, we're going to come play. We've heard nothing about manufacturers saying they're going to come play when the new formula hits. We hope, but we don't know. Uh, that's where my fear comes from. That's why I've been mentioning this over and over again. If you want to get manufacturers to come and play, you need to give them something that speaks to them. And that's rarely a single option. 
you force every manufacturer to say yes or no to the one thing you've told them they can only play with. In this scenario, the one I've been championing, the one here, Dan, that you have outlined as my voice goes pubescent one more time, we have options. We have the thing where manufacturers can say, oh, so the thing we believe in that we really want to do on our production side, we could bring that and race it and learn from it and promote it and get better. Aha. Uh-huh. I love this angle, man. I really and truly do. Only thing I disagree with is on the feeder series, the road to indie side. I know we're talking different power plants, but the cost to buy an IndyCar chassis, forget the engine, just the vehicle itself with all the parts and pieces, hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars. If we're talking the DW12. Uh, depending on the team, some said we're talking 500 plus once you get every single thing in done and the car is sitting on the ground before you get that engine into it. That's just so far over the head of what any road to indie team can afford. It would not be an option. And I realize that maybe if it was super mass produced, you can get the number down. Great. Keep in mind, there's been what 60, 70 DW 12s made. So it's not like that has been a low, low volume chassis production. So yeah, the fact is for the lower, for the road to Indy, those need to be smaller, far less costly cars. And unless there's a way where, uh, Delaro comes up with handling, all three tiers of the road to Indy, which maybe might become two in the future if some wise decisions are made. Maybe there's something there, but it still seems like this is just going to be way too much if I'm talking the first step, USF 2000. Uh, that's the entry level. And if the buy-in to be there is basically buying an Indy car, uh, but putting a smaller motor into it, I fear it crashes and dies immediately. So love the idea on the IndyCar front, Dan. Just don't see that it would be feasible for anything other than IndyCar. All right, that's it. This is the catch-up leftover. We had a fire in the middle of it. (laughs) Week in IndyCar listener Q&A from the end of 2019. I really tried to get done, and that crashed, and that file was deleted and not recovered. And Man, this has been a thing, hasn't it? All right, well, I'm going to shut up. Uh, we got to get rolling here, uh, dear wife and I. So thank you to you. Thank you to Cooper Tires. Thank you to the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. Jim, send me that DM with your email address and to Bell Racing Helmets USA. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is our little podcast. I love you all. Thank you for all the super sweet things you've sent, all the well wishes for my wife and I. And we're recording tomorrow with Colton Herta, and I'll try and get your new Q&A done tomorrow night as well.